Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Over the last three days, I've been hearing and reading what I've been saying, and that it's the first anniversary of the terrorist attack on uh, the Charlie Hebdo offices and the uh, the murders of the editor and the cartoonists, and then the violence that continued the murders of the kosher supermarket. And and it's always the first anniversary, first anniversary, and first anniversary. And I understand that because we are doing it. We're, we're reporting a story. Terrible story, but we're reporting a story. And I was thinking earlier today how much, how different it has to be for the people in Paris and how different it has to be for the people in France. It's not a story to them. And it's more than a story to us, but... It's not just a news story. This happened in, in their city, in their country, to their people. It's far more than just a news story. And then there was the violence in November. And uh, the potential attack, or the, the attack that was about to take place on a rapid train, high-speed train, and the uh, would-be killer's gun jammed. And three Americans who were on the train managed to uh, disarm him and hold him. So one year to the day, the end of the uh, Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris. Um, meanwhile, in Europe, because there's a story developing now as well that I'm going to talk to my guest about, there are reports of sexual harassment, assaults, and rape of women by migrant gangs. There reports now that to police in Germany and Austria try to cover up the attacks. European countries are warning women to be careful and perhaps not go out at night. The Daily Mail UK headline, Migrant Rape Fears Spread Across Europe. Women told not to go out at night alone after assaults carried out in Sweden, Finland, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. And mid-warnings, gangs are coordinating attacks. Every day, First, one of the first things I do in the morning is I go to Argence France Press to the app on my phone. And I check AFP stories because they're very, very good. I'm not just saying that because Eric Randolph's on the phone with me, journalist with AFP in Paris. I'm saying because I do it. Um, Eric was on with us after the November attack. And, and Eric, I I was just sitting here thinking about the emotional, the, the feelings that must be going through the people of the city of Paris, the people of France, over the last three days, the first anniversary of the uh, the beginning of the Charlie Hebdo attack. How are you? And 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 I sincerely ask, how 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 are people in your city? Uh, hi, Roy. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that, actually. And 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 you know, unfortunately, I think I I'm in slightly the same boat because when you're a professional journalist, uh, you have a way of filtering out the the emotion because you're working on the story. So. Even though these things were happening, I mean, I live uh, maybe five minutes walk away from some of the places that were attacked in November and maybe 15 minutes away from the Charlie Hebdo offices that were attacked. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I, you know, I rushed into the office to cover those stories or I went down to the scene to see what was happening. Because I'm a journalist, you try and you, you kind of filter things that way. So, so sometimes you have to try and remember that this is really happening. It's a... Uh, it's a weird, weird sensation to to have a, a, a big news story like this happening uh, in your city, something that we're just not used to in Paris. And I think that's true of 
of the city as a whole is that there's a surreal aspect to what's been going on for the last year of trying to the, the idea that war has actually come to our doorstep and obviously it's nothing nothing compared to the the scale of uh, the horrible things that we see happening around the world in the middle east and elsewhere but but nonetheless it's really happening in our in our town and uh you know the, the the horrible truth is that it has shaken up uh it has scared a lot of people i've got family here i've got an aunt who uh after the november attack she lives in an area called la defense which was actually going to be the next place that the november attackers were planning to attack um until the the ringleader was killed in the police assault a few days after but there was evidence that they were going to attack La Defense. Uh, it's a it's a shopping district. Uh, it's a commercial district, and so you know, my aunt and my cousins that live in that area were they've been afraid to go out. They've been afraid to go to the shops. It was only when it came to New Year's Eve and she realised she had to cater for me and my family, and that she actually, you know, went out to to some of those to some of those places. So. You know, the reality is that people are scared. They're, they're shaken up. It's, we're trying to get used to a new reality here that um, people are still coming to terms with. Yeah. I don't imagine it could be any other way. And, and you're mm. right. We, we in, in our business, I think we use it as a defensive mechanism. Absolutely, yeah. There are things that there are terrible circumstances that develop around us. And we, we report on them. We cover them. We talk to victims, family members. We... Um, we get right into the into the grist of the story, mm. and and we we have we've developed uh, most of it, those of us who survive it develop a, an ability to almost uh, separate ourselves from what's going on. It's mm. late at night, I find, when when you're home alone, that the actual the depth of what's going on strikes you personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was quite surprised by how much. I and my colleagues were affected, and you know there are people that I work with who were uh, directly affected in the sense that they had family or friends that were touched. Um, I mean, we, you know, it's important to keep it in context. Uh, 130 people were killed, and it was awful, and, uh, and 17 people were killed a year ago during the Charlie Hebdo and the other attacks. Um, that isn't anything compared to. You know, I mean, you can play the statistics games. More people are, are killed on the roads, obviously, every couple of months. Or if you lived in America, there are more mass shootings. You know, there are mass shootings all of the time. But there's something about the way in which these attacks happen that really play on your fears, and that's that's the way these terrorist attacks are designed: is that they make you play these games in your head. You know, you can't go to the aquarium or to the museum without slightly looking at how would I get out if something happened, you know, you're looking for the emergency exits, you're play, you know, when you're on the tube, and, and I think the most awful thing about it, the most awful thing, especially if you're a liberal-minded person, uh, is that you start to kind of look at Arab-looking people or Muslims as, a, you know, you, you check a little bit, are they, you know, does that guy's jacket look a little too big, you know, does he look shifty in some way, and that's that's an awful thing to realise because even though you know that it's you know that, 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 that it's not um, that, you know you can't suspect you shouldn't be suspecting every Arab-looking person. There's part of your brain that just can't help but feel slightly on edge, and that's the game that groups like ISIS are playing with you, and that's uh, that's how they get in your head. And you have to fight that. You have to 
you have to try and uh, and overcome that fear. And I think you know, I think people are getting to that point now. They're realizing that you, you know, you ha- it's a mental game, and you have to you have to beat them there. That's where that's where the battle is. Let me take a quick break. We're going to come back with Eric Randolph in Paris with Agence France Press, a journalist with AFP, and um, I want to talk about um, more about how life has changed in in France. You know the. Well, the people in Paris and the people in France are directly affected by what is happening, has happened around them. But really, it's the whole world has been affected. The whole world has uh, has been impacted. Everyone. We'll come right back. On the webpage, RoyGreenShow.com, in the podcast, listen back to uh, this segment or any other that you choose to, and uh, you can listen to the whole show. At, uh, at a time of your choosing, and download as you wish. Eric Randolph is my guest from Agence France Press, journalist with AFP. Uh, down, you know, get their app. It really is a great news organization. He joins us from Paris on the uh, anniversary of the Charlie Hebdo attack. Uh, Eric, have things changed in Paris and in France as far as security is concerned? You talked to us about the 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 fears people have, and you talked about your family members, but but have things changed significantly as far as general security is concerned? Just two days ago, a man wearing a fake explosive jacket and carrying a knife charged police and was shot death. I expect that sort of thing to happen, but ha- has, has the dynamic changed? Um, yeah, sure. You know, um, I moved uh, to, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in France in the past, but I moved here uh, this time two years ago, uh, and the change I've seen in that short time has been dramatic. There's now four military uh, soldiers stationed outside my young daughter's nursery uh, permanently um, because it's in quite a Jewish area. And uh, you see that kind of thing all over the city ever since Charlie Hebdo. Um, And ever since the attacks in November, um, even more so, um, which is completely new. You know, that, that just that just didn't exist. It didn't exist in Europe. You know, it's not what Europe was about, um, and that that's that's quite shocking to see. And uh, you know, and certainly since November, there's been. Uh, I think after after the Charlie Hebdo attacks, but part of the thing, it felt a bit like that was a targeted assault on someone that was a clear enemy of jihadists, and it didn't feel like it was directed against the general population. And it wasn't a random thing. It was a targeted thing. Uh, and then the November attacks really changed that dynamic. So the soldiers felt slightly superfluous. They felt a bit superficial. You know, they were just stationed there just to make everyone feel better. Now we kind of feel like those soldiers might actually be, um, might actually be of use uh, at any moment. And um, so that does change. That, that that's definitely been a change. Just reading reports. In European media, and they've been slow in coming, or fairly slow in coming, but it's been gathering momentum, of migrant male gangs roaming European cities, sexually harassing, assaulting, and in some cases raping women who've been warned to be careful about going out alone at night in their own home countries because of fear of assault by these migrant and refugee claimants. Austrian and German police have been accused of trying to cover up the assaults, and the chief of police in Cologne was fired over his non-handling of the reported attacks on New Year's Eve. What's the uh, what's the story here? Um, yeah, it's uh, 
It's a, it's a horrible turn of events. I mean, let's be clear, it's not happening all over Europe. It's This is a major event that happened in Cologne. Um, and it's a difficult one to deal with. I think I, I've covered the refugee issue. I was, uh, I was on the Hungary border in September when they shut that down. And I followed the refugees when they were diverted up through other parts of Europe. And it's... Uh, it's a shocking thing to see. It's an amazing thing to see just thousands and thousands of people uh, walking up through Europe in that way. Um, and, and what happened in Cologne on New Year's Eve, uh, we still need to understand the facts of that. But it's very difficult, again, for, for someone who's kind of liberal-minded. You want to be, you, you know, you, you don't want to hear about this. But it, it's important to not see the migrant issue in black and white terms. Just because... I'm in favor of refugees being given asylum if they're fleeing war. Doesn't mean that all the refugees that show up in Europe are going to be ideal citizens straight away. Uh, and the flip side is you can't, if you're against migration, you can't just assume that every migrant is going to be a potential threat. The vast majority aren't, but that doesn't mean we, we have to be realistic. We've got a million new people that showed up Many of them are traumatized. Many of them are uh, there's a, a high proportion of young men who on New Year's Eve got drunk in Cologne. And there appears to have been a very serious, uh, very serious problems happening there. Yeah, we can't turn a blind eye to that because we've been trying to be politically correct about refugees. Um, you know, some of these people are coming from cultures uh, where there is there are different attitudes to women. Uh, at the same, that doesn't mean that you're always going to be under threat, or that uh, you know. And it certainly doesn't mean that the police should turn a blind eye to it or pretend that it's not happening. Um, I think the problem is that this is a very sudden uh, change in Europe's uh, demographics that's happening, and, and the police need to react to that. Um, but uh, it definitely doesn't help the mood in the continent, which is already on uh, a knife edge with right-wing groups getting more powerful. And uh, all of this uh, kind of conflict plays into the hands of, um, of, uh, of groups like ISIS that want to divide and want to undermine liberal values. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible, uh, horribly complicated situation. Well, when I looked at the Daily Mail headline and they talk about... Um Women told not to go out at night alone after assaults carried out in Sweden, Finland, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. It's a fairly, it's a fairly big swath of Europe. And, yeah. and I was thinking about the political realities. You have a presidential election coming up in France. Mm -hmm. If I understand the French election system, it's complicated for me. But uh, is there a... Is there a possibility that Marie Le Pen could become the president of France, the head of the Front National? And if that happens, how does that change the dynamic? I, I guess I'm asking, what's the fallout going to be from these from these incidents that we're hearing about? Let, let me say first. What does nobody know? For, for, for your listeners that don't know, the Daily Mail in Britain is a rabidly right-wing newspaper extremely anti-migrant they will leap on any hint of uh proof that the migrants are a, a threat and uh they will greatly exaggerate and um uh and vilify uh, and vilify that because they have an agenda which is to try and keep britain out of, to try and move britain out of europe 
Um, not to say that there isn't a genuine problem happening um, in the last few days, but but just to, to make that proviso. But to get to your question on Marine Le Pen, uh, there actually isn't a chance that she, in my view, I don't think there's any chance that she'll become um, president of France. Uh, th- they are the biggest party in, in some senses in France now. In the last couple of local and European elections, they've actually won the highest percentage. But France, fortunately, um, has a two-stage uh, voting system. So you vote uh, one week and you kind of narrow down the field uh, down to, in the presidential election, you narrow down to two candidates. Uh, and then you have a second vote when you pick one of those two candidates. And what's happened in the past is um, uh, her party, the, who are extremely anti-immigrant, um, anti-European Union, um, very xenophobic, uh, they've been anti-Semitic in the past as well. They, their, their candidate has actually made it to the second round once in 2002. Uh, but what happened then was that everybody from who supported other parties, other mainstream parties, were so horrified at the idea that the Front National might actually uh, uh, win that they all voted for whoever the other candidate was. Didn't they um, do that to a certain extent already this year, or at least in this election? Yeah. Exactly, and it happened again. Uh, we had regional elections. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, years. Eric, I, I, I just looked at the clock. We have 30 seconds. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, the bottom line is that, uh, that although that party is growing and that's a worrying uh, trend in French politics, is that I don't think it'll ever get to the point where the Front National actually gets into a serious position of power. They, this happened a month ago, and uh, although it looked like they might take over some regions, at the last minute, people turned to people kind of ganged up against them uh, and made sure that mainstream parties stayed in power. Um, but obviously, with all the problems that we're having, um, it can only help uh, the Front National. But I think there is a limit to, to how extreme Europe can uh, can go in its politics. Eric, thank you so much. Uh, late in the evening for you in Paris. Thanks so much for joining us today. All the very best to you. Take care. Eric Randolph from Agence France Press. We're back with the beauties and a special guest after this.